So I want you to read the, listen to the gospel reading, and then, uh, and then we'll uh, encourage you to take notes. But this is the gospel reading for today. It's Matthew 22, 34 to 38. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. So, as I'm taking this stuff over there for you, I'd encourage you to do three things. Number one, to get out your pew Bible and turn to page 771. That's the first thing I encourage you to do, okay? Second thing is, on your news and notes today, on the back side is a place where you can take notes, and as always, we encourage you to take notes. The third thing I want to tell you is there's a writing utensil right in front of you in the pew, and if you're seated in the front row, um, you can just reach back and you can get a writing utensil. As once again, we encourage you to take notes and write some of, the t- these, some of these things down because uh, I think they'll help you to remain focused. And also you can take it home and study it and meditate on it, share it with your friends. Use it as a paper airplane or whatever it is that you want to do, okay? So yeah, um, yeah. We're going to be talking today, and you can turn me down just a little bit, Bob. We're going to be talking today about... The sufficiency, the all-sufficiency of God versus, listen to this, the unsufficiency or insufficiency of idols. The all-sufficiency of God versus the insufficiency of idols. I began the ministry in 1983, and for 10 years, I was a workaholic. My life revolved around my ministry. And I thought that the more dedicated I am, um, the more busy I am, the more I fill up my calendar with all kinds of activities and meetings, the better pastor I was. And I loved hearing people in the congregation say, oh, you are so dedicated. You are so committed to this church. You are so committed to your job. And what did that do? It fed my what? It fed my what? My ego. Wow. People think I'm a pretty hard worker. They like what I'm doing. Look at how many nights I'm out. Look at how much I'm doing. Look at how many people I'm visiting. Look at how many people are in the church. I must be doing a good job. And my ministry, listen to this, had become my, you say it, idol. It was a driving force in my life. And my head elder came up to me after 10 years of ministry in Burlington, Colorado, and he said, what are you doing? You're destroying your life. He looked at me and he said, obviously you're not being a good steward of your body. You've gained about 30 pounds in the six years you've been here. Your wife, I can tell by the countenance on her face that you're not being a good steward of her. Your kids sometimes don't see you for days. What are you doing? And I had to humble myself before God and say, God, what am I doing? My work, my ministry, my ministry had become my God. And from it, I tried to exhume only things that God can only give. You have idols too in your life. And you're probably wondering, what is an idol? An idol is anything we love 
honor, and trust in, let me say this again, and I'd encourage you to write this down, anything we love, trust in, and honor more than God. That's an idol. As a matter of fact, the first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and the definition or explanation of that is we should fear, love, and honor God, trust in God above all things. The problem is, we don't do that. You see, we have different idols in our life, and here they are. Our idols may be our loved ones. Now, we love our loved ones. We care for them. They're by our side. They encourage us. They love us unconditionally. But here's the problem with our loved ones. Our loved ones sometimes will let us down. Our loved, loved ones will sometimes frustrate us, irritate us, aggravate us, and fail us and disappoint us. And if we find ourselves loving them, trusting in them, honoring them above our relationship with God, then guess what? Our loved ones have become a what? An idol. The second idol we oftentimes have is the one I just talked about, the idol of our work. Now, work is a blessing. Work is ordained by God. God wants us to be useful. God wants us to be passionate about what we do. He wants us to find our niche and to bless others with the work we carry out. He loves it when we work in teams with other people to benefit the corporation or the small business. Work is a blessing of God. But listen to this. When work becomes all-consuming, when it becomes the driving force in your life, when you are obsessed with your work, when you live to work instead of working to live, it's become your God. The third one is our hobbies. Golfing, fishing, working in the garden, biking, being a sports fan, all of these things, listen to this, is a gift of God. Anything that you enjoy that is not antagonistic towards the Word of God, contradictory to the Word of God, is a blessing of God. All good gifts flow down from the Father of lights. Hobbies that we enjoy in everyday life, these are a blessing of God. But they, if they become the passion, listen to this, the passion of your life. One of my pet peeves is people blowing off worship during Bronco season because they got to keep up with their NFL teams. Guess what? The NFL and the Denver Broncos have become that person's, what? You say it, God, their idol. You see, when our passions are driven by our hobbies instead of our love and devotion for God and His Word, then our hobbies have become our God. Here's what I encourage you to write down. None of these things... None of these things, our hobbies, our work, and our loved ones, none of these things can carry you through the stormy situations of life or forgive you for your failures. None of these things can carry us through the stormy situations of life or forgive us for our failures. You're probably saying, well, what does? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I do know. <laughs> I was just seeing if you're really listening. Man, I've got answers today, guys. There's answers found in the Word of God. We have hope, foundation, peace, joy, security, love, comfort, blessing, guidance, direction, pardon, eternal life. In who? Jesus Christ. He's a foundation. He's a source of eternal life. 
He's the one for whom we live and move and in whom we have our being. We have answers in the Word of God, and I'm going to share them with you today because our devotion, our love, our allegiance, our faith is riveted to Him, and He becomes our all in all. And He's the one who is, number one, our God. Our God is the only God. And this is where I encourage you to look at the text today. It's Isaiah chapter 46, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead and look at it. And verses 5 to 9. I have to set up the context for this, first of all. This was written in 740 B.C. And what the writer of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah himself, was predicting is that there was going to be a time when the people of God would be taken to Babylon as a punishment because of their irreverence and idolatry. And so they would be taken to Babylon in 587 B.C. This was written 160 years before that ever occurred, okay? And so they were going to spend time, he was saying, they're going to spend time in Babylon. And they would have to bow down to false gods, gods of wood and stone. But finally, after 70 years, those people would be able to leave. And they'd go back to Palestine. And they would take these false gods with them, tear them down, put them on their beasts of burden, and go back to Palestine, go back to the promised land. And this is what was being predicted 160 years ahead of time. Verse 1. Bell bowed down, bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These were the false gods of Babylon, guys. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. So here's the picture. The people of God were leaving Babylon. They were taking these false gods, putting them on donkeys, and heading back home. This was predicted by Isaiah that the people of God would do this to the false gods of Babylon. Verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. In other words, these false gods are now themselves being taken back to Palestine. They now are going to be captive. He's saying, tear down those gods, pull them down, don't worship them, put them on beasts of burden, return back home, and then cast them aside. Verses 5 to 9, go ahead and look at it. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. He's talking about the false gods of Babylon, the idolatry that was happening in Babylon. Verse 7, they lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Do you see that? These false gods, the people of God of Babylon, and also the Israelites, while they're in Babylon, were bowing down to these inanimate objects that could not see, hear, touch, guide, direct, bless, govern, offer consolation, and give pardon. He was saying they're bowing down to these false gods. They are worthless. They are not real gods. They are false gods. And what God was saying to them is there is only one God, and it's me. I love it. Verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Why did God call the people of Israel transgressors there? 
because they too had bowed down to these false gods in Babylon. Verse 8, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God. Listen to this. I am God, and what's it say there? There is what? No other. I am God, and there is none like me. What we're saying today is there is only one God in the universe. Not many gods, not multiple gods, not lesser gods. There is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the only God, and that's what God is telling the people of Israel right here. I'm the only God. Now, we talk about then in verses 4 and, verses four and 5 what this God does for his people. And let's go ahead and look at it. Here's the first thing he does. He carries us. Look at verse 3 and 4 in your text. Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to the gray hairs I will carry you. What does this say? That from the moment we're conceived and then born all the way through life, there's one thing that God does for us that he's affirming to us today. He carries us. Any challenge, any struggle, any weakness, any difficulty you face, you never face it alone. We said it a couple weeks ago, Jesus Christ lives in you. Today the picture is Jesus Christ carries you. He carries you. And you can look back over your life and you can wonder how did I cope? How did I get through it? How did I deal with that difficulty? And there is one answer, God carried you. Last night, I went to the Denver Bronco game and I met my son, Benjamin, there. And he brought his two sons. One is five, a little guy by the name of Creed. And his birthday is today, as a matter of fact. And his other son is Colby, and he's two. And from the time I saw Ben at the gate, all the way up the ramp, up the stairs to our seat, you know what Ben did? He carried his son, his little two-year-old. He never put him down. Why? He didn't want him to get trampled. 70,000 people, a little guy this tall, he carries him the whole time. That's a picture of what God does for us. He never puts us down. He never lets go of us. He never drops us down. He never just stands off to the side and says, you're pretty much on your own. Call on me and I'll come to you. No, he carries us all the way through life. How many of you have heard of the footprints in the sand? Raise your hand, you know. As a matter of fact, I got old Joe $5 for this. He said, Dad, a few weeks ago, he said, Dad, have you, I don't think you know anything about this, but have you heard of that thing called the footprints in the sand? Have you heard about that? Have you ever read that? I said, son, that's been out for 50 years. You know what about footprints in the sand? It's not true. Yeah, God walks with us for sure. But God doesn't just carry us when the struggles come. He carries us throughout life. Is that not awesome? He never sets us down. He never says, you're over there, I'm over here, call upon me and I'll come on. No, he carries us through life. As a father carries his son. As a shepherd carries sheep. 
As the eagle carries its young, so our heavenly father carries us. We're his kids, his sons and daughters. And you know how it is, dads, when your kids, if you have kids, when they get to be teenagers, can you carry them around anymore? No way. You'll get a backache, might break your back, break your spine, you can't do it. Can you imagine Doug carrying Luke today? Luke, how much do you weigh? 240? Oh, 220. All right, can you carry him for like more than a minute? No. Okay. Can God carry us throughout life? Absolutely. Do we forget that? Absolutely. Whatever challenge you're going through today, a work challenge, a relationship challenge, a sick challenge, someone passing away, you can lean on the everlasting, everlasting arms of God and he will carry you through and he's not going to drop you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to deny you. He's going to lift you up in his arms and carry you all the way through life. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need to leave this place that in the midst of my idolatry and pain and heartache and loneliness, and all of us go through that stuff, I've got a Father who will carry me through life, and so do you. How do you know, Pastor Dave? You know, by the way, did you guys, all you old guys here today and old women, I, I, oops, I shouldn't have said that, older people today, okay, okay, those of us who are gray hairs today, did you catch that in the reading? Even when you're older, even when you have gray hairs, I'm going to bear you up. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our Lord says, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our God is present. Our God carries us. That's the best thing I can tell you today. But the very next best thing, and maybe even better, is not only He carries us, He saves us. He saves us. Look at what this text says in verse 4. Even, go ahead and look at it, Isaiah 46, verse 4. Everybody got it? Okay. Isaiah 46, verse 4. Would you read that with me? Even to your old age... I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will what? Save. We sometimes are drowning in the sea of our idolatry. We need someone that can come and take away our sin and the guilt and shame that accompanies it. We need someone that can pay for our sin once and for all, so that we have direct access to God and are in a right relationship with him. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ that was lifted up on the cross and died for all of our sins, including the sin of idolatry in our lives. He made it his own. He became the sin bearer for it. He made full payment and restitution to God the Father for our sin of idolatry. And now what happens? God offers us forgiveness, unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, and he takes that sin and drowns it in the sea of his forgetfulness. As a matter of fact, Micah chapter 5, 
chapter 7, verse 14 says this. That God takes our sin and drowns it in the depth of the ocean. My son and I saw the movie Meg. Have any of you seen that yet, by the way? He's a big shark guy. I kind of like to study sharks and stuff. So he saw the movie Meg. And I didn't know the bottom of the ocean oftentimes has never been discovered. And it's six miles deep. And the pressure is so great that rarely does anyone get there. And so when it says that our sins are drowned in the depth, in the bottom of the sea, that means they're irretrievable. And here's the thing. You feel guilt and pain and remorse about your sin? Do you know what God does on the shore of the sea where your sins are drowned in the bottom of the sea? You know what God says? No fishing allowed. Don't bring them up again. God's forgiven and forgotten about that sin. He's let it go so Can you? Do you see why our God is the only God? He's the only one that can carry us through stuff. He's the only one that can save us through the forgiveness of sins that he offered us in Jesus Christ. And so what do we do with all this then? What's the application points? Here it is. Life application. Let him, first of all, save you. You sometimes say, my sins are too great. My transgressions are too deep. How can God forgive someone like me? Oh, Pastor Dave, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've carried out. Can God's grace really stretch out and touch that and clean that up? The answer is yes, without reservation, absolutely, unequivocally, absolutely, yes. His grace forgives you. You can let it go. You can embrace the fact that God has claimed you as his very own, named you as his beloved child, forgiven all your sins, and written your name in the book of life, meaning eternal life is yours. He saves you. All you have to do is say, okay, Lord Jesus, come into my life, clean me up, and make me new. And he does, and he will. That's good news. The second thing is, let him carry you. Psalm 46 says this, be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew translation for the words be still, the accurate translation is this, let go and know that he is God. What burden, worry, fear, or doubt are you carrying today that only God can carry? Let him carry it. What strength do you need to face whatever challenges you're facing in life? Let him bestow you with that strength. What fear is so much in front of you that you become isolated because of it? That you feel like you can't go forward in life because that fear is so great? Let God carry it and deal with it and hold you close to his chest and say, I'm going to carry you through it. Lean on me. Let me carry you. When I was at the Seattle World's Fair in 1962, I was five years old, and after a while, I couldn't, I couldn't walk anymore, and I said, Daddy, carry me, and he carried me the rest of the day. I'll never forget that. 
Let God carry you the rest of your life. Amen? Let him carry you the rest of your life. You don't have to be gripped by fear and pain and worry and doubt. He picks you up like a loving father. And he put, this is what my son did at the football game last night. I want to tell you, my little grandson, Colby, two years old, was on my son's shoulders. My son, Ben, carried him for a half hour through the ticket booth, up the ramp, up the steps. Was Colby worried about anything? Pfft, not at all. He loved it up there. You know what you can say today? I love it up there in the arms of my Lord who's holding me through life my entire days. Let him do it. Oh yes, we drown in our idolatry. But we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who came and paid for that once and for all. And now through the text we understand there is only one God and there is no other Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who carries us and who saves us. Thanks be to God. To Him be all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever and ever. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.